Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Sarah Bader, a musician whose new record, Excision After Love Collapses, came out over the summer. And the responses I've seen to this record are super enthusiastic, people being thoroughly throttled by Sarah's music emotionally, myself included. This record is a really wonderful combination of meticulously generated percussion, voices, strings, and as we discuss throughout this conversation, a real ambiguity over whether things are being constructed, being torn down. There's so much space. Often these constructions feel like they're partly in ruins. And also some ambiguity over the source of some of these sounds. There's synthesis involved, there's also organic instrumentation, and Sarah really deftly blurs the two until it's difficult to determine origins at all times. I love this record. It's an epic work. It's a real sprawl. And you can check it out at fractal.bandcamp.com. Definitely buy it. You can go to fractal.com as well for Sarah's wonderful website. And as always, head to attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening for more information on Sarah's picks and links to her music as well. Cool. That's all for now. Just to let you know, this is the last episode that will appear on Spotify. I wrote a big article about why Spotify is bad. It seems hypocritical for me to carry on putting this podcast on Spotify. So if you are listening to it there, please do consider subscribing on your podcast app instead. And if you're already doing that, thank you very much indeed. Um, This conversation with Sarah was great. I had a wonderful time speaking to her and getting to know these records. I hope you enjoy it as well. This is Sarah Bader, Fractal on Crucial Listening. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, You're here to talk about three important records, as per, on the show. Uh, Before we get stuck into those, I wanted to ask a few questions about your new album, Excision, After Love Collapses, uh, which came out a couple of months back. Now, it's it's a mammoth work. I mean, over an hour in length and each moment feels incredibly dense each listen i think i've gone through feels like taking on an alternate pathway through the record so i'm intrigued to know to begin with um how long did it take for this album to come together and when did you start working on it so i started working on it um it must have been end of 2017 it primarily started with one track which was fire upon the deep Um, and I had paced things out before so that when I'd released an album in 2016, uh, an EP came out the following year, I think it was in March, 
And I was kind of hoping for another kind of year cycle without too much of a gap in between until I would kind of, there was this momentum and I wanted to keep that going in terms of creating sounds. Then some things happened in life, basically taking me away from this mind space, um, moved around quite a bit. I, I always move around, or I have tended to in the past uh, quite frequently. So every now and then I would be able to sit down and, and put something together. And finally, this one track and then the one following it, which was Eigenspace, which I, I put on SoundCloud at the time, um, they created the kind of this this sound bed for the world that I wanted to um, build on. But I continued to move and other things, just as much as I kept trying to work on the album, everything else was taking me away from that. Mm -hmm. um, and But since it is a self-release and I tend to kind of go with it, that's what I learned from especially the previous one, Qualia, uh, which was basically also I had like three years of I was moving around a lot and um, things weren't coming together and I, you know I was working on other things and um, I sat down one summer and I basically went through everything that I had tried you know these false starts and attempts at putting tracks together and so I just I learned from that that you know as long as you're recording something it, it'll come together when it comes together so in mm. this case it took it took three years with actually the bulk of it written more recently than not so yeah that's it it was the longer it took the harder it was a bit to bridge this time since the beginning until now because you you change mm. and also you're kind of what sits well with you sound wise evolves um so it, it got harder and harder and i was like no no i need to really just knuckle down these last few months before <laughs> it came out and uh yeah that was the that was the process behind it and i've seen you talk about the fact that you wanted vocal manipulation to be maybe more of a prominent role or that's something that you wanted to focus on with this new record so what was it about vocal manipulation that that made you want to make that a more more prominent part or to focus on it more and i mean the voices i find on this record are totally fascinating i spend much of the time listening wondering whether or not it's your voice or something synthesized or an amalgam between the two um they have this really interesting relationship with space and origin i think the voices throughout this record so yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about your approach to vocal manipulation and why it appealed to you to to do so as well so it's something that started with the last album uh, so that was how many years ago now that's four years ago with a track that i'd recorded so there are two tracks on there primarily one which um not many people know this but it's um it's this was march of the danaids and it's my singing a song that my mum used to sing to me when I was little. It's an Egyptian children's song, Zahab al I don't know. I, I don't know if that's the title, but that's like the the main phrase. And uh, following that, 
Mama Zaman Hagaya, anyone who knows Egyptians children's music will, will know these <laughs> songs because I think um, a lot of parents sang it to their children. So it was this recorded and then I reversed it and repitched it. Um, so it sounds really alien um, or, I mean, it's unintelligible otherwise, but mm. so that kind of, I don't know what I was doing around that time, but kind of experimenting with that fascinated me and I wanted to do more of that. Um, there's a bonus track on that album, which is like more, uh, also vocals, but just tradition, like singer songwriter, um, stuff. And I found that I actually preferred this approach and I'd also used up until that point since I began my voice I've used it uh, more as an instrument how you would play violin for example mm. um, that's partly out of shyness partly out of um, not having exactly the best recording gear to get a good clear sound I always you'll notice um especially like in fire upon the deep for example which is on the latest album that is my voice um i right. made an ins instrument out of my voice and you can hear sounds from the street in cairo in the background and that <laughs> creates the atmosphere and you can actually you can hear a lot um across these releases um, a lot of the music was recorded when I was in Cairo. Um, you can hear, for example, the cat passing by and making some sound or the cars in the street. Um, there's a track on my first ever release, um, Spoken, which the these street sounds are really audible. I, I never, since I always work at home, um, I'm kind of, I don't know if it's being lazy or just not caring or not <laughs> noticing. I don't, I never close the window. Huh. I never, you know, I don't, I don't look around and, and think I need to, you know, make this a pristine recording environment. I, for some reason, I don't know. It's just, I think it, it goes, it comes down to the, my mental state when I'm doing this stuff. It's something trying to relax or get away from thinking about you know the th other things that I need to do or something it's a bit of an escapist uh activity mm. um so I kind of ignore everything and kind of dive in that way and in terms of you are right about so so let's say a majority of the vocals are mine and then some you know chorus instrument or something which is synthesized right to flesh that out a bit and it's the same with the strings as well where i'm recording um my electric violin and i'm also working with uh str string instruments inside ableton um, VSTs uh, or sound libraries so it's a it's a mix of both um, and this is again to compensate for the shortcomings in terms of being able to record with clarity and and things like this and also I kind of like this ambiguity um, and also with you know s stuff like contact libraries and stuff you can get I mean some of the sound libraries are convincing enough but there's still this a bit rigidity mm. um, in terms of expression um, and so if you layer the two you know you can inject in it this like more natural um, 
sound and articulation. And I think that this helps, at least this is personally my preference, um, if if I don't have access to like, for example, like some full orchestra, I can <laughs> conduct like that. That would be nice one day. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the ambiguity thing is the thing I find really interesting there. Cause I think that pulls me in to listening to this record. I find myself really scrutinizing the voices. I guess there's something quite innately humane in wanting to innately human, sorry, in wanting to, decipher whether or not it comes from something of human origin or something else hmm. um so i find that really interesting i think that ambiguity as well at least from where i am as the listener extends to so much of your record i think the emotional pews that i'm feeling seem to kind of be two or three different sentiments kind of curdling together and i think also with the beat work i find the the beats of this really fragmentary interesting quality to them as well where they're either breaking down or building up um which mm. really appeals to me it seems certainly like a uh, a different approach to beats compared to say your your last ep um yeah was there a particular kind of approach that you wanted to take with the beats or a presence that you wanted to to bring to them on this album to start with i wanted to get better right <laughs> at uh, at, at the percussive elements. Um, I have for a long time, and I think this comes from my musical upbringing in terms of playing music, a lot of what I have focused on growing up has been melodic and harmonic in origin. Um, usually the rhythm has been kind of derived from this or almost like added as an afterthought in the end and that hasn't always worked well mm. so uh, I, I wanted to kind of break away from the repetitiveness of that or kind of be more intentioned in my approach so I've been and the same with vocals as well like if it's not me uh, recording just you know singing along uh, the instrumentation I have been focusing on building instruments so some of them have been based on recordings of my own voice and um, a lot of other ones which are heavily arpeggios and chord progressions and stuff it's a lot of these midi chains that drive with some randomized uh, elements, um, you start it and it kind of evolves on its own and mm. you guide it. I use um, a few controllers, one of which is this uh, uh, this Akai MIDI mix, which has lots of knobs. Um, so I map these knobs and I can, I can get, for example, uh, this drum sequence to evolve over time. And it, it sounds, what, what struck me is that it, if you start out with the right sounds, you can get it to be really interesting in a way that someone playing it by hand might, uh, these small variations that, kind of especially if like a track is some five minutes long it helps keep things going again like something I, I wanted to just get better at and explore and practice at especially hoping to kind of be able to improvise in live context um but uh be playing the these instruments myself so yeah the a, a lot of it 
is uh, randomized within set parameters. And um, some of it is derived, uh, as before, directly from the melody or the melodic elements and fine-tuned after that. And I also wanted to explore um, melody, like melody strictly as rhythm, um, which kind of goes more back to classical music, um, both the classical music I grew up with through my parents, uh, like Egyptian music, for example, like more folk music, and, um, and also actual like Baroque, uh, the Mozarts and the Bachs, like hmm. yeah, where where you're dealing with, you know, these staccatos and really rigid structures, but there's a lot of variation in that. I mean, one more question I wanted to ask is about the presence of birds on this record oh. <laughs> within your life. I was so psyched to hear you mention. I mean, firstly, you've got on this record quite explicitly, I think it's on Eigenspace, isn't it, where you've got what sounds yeah. like seagulls seagulls yeah amazing which is great <laughs> for me i live in bournemouth a coastal town of the uk where that's my bread and butter sonically yeah um but i've also heard you talk on another interview how birding has entered your life um and you sounded kind of equally baffled as i was when i got into birding as to why it had ended up there and why you ended up buying binoculars and why it become a presence in your life so can you talk to me about getting into birding what's brought you to there to be honest puffins ah nice. <laughs> i mean it's not strictly i i've i mean i love i love animals that's <laughs> uh, that's kind of like the easy answer right. but um but yeah i think um I don't know what it was. I, I must have gone through like down some YouTube rabbit hole. I grew up appreciating birds. Um, also uh, spent a large part of my childhood in London and um, everything from puffin books to uh, generally appreciation of birds and birds in literature and things like that, uh, children's literature. Um, I've always been fascinated. But then uh, not too long ago, it was like some convergence between watching bird videos on YouTube and especially like just finding puffins extremely adorable and fascinating as a species. Um, the fact that they spend a large portion of the year in flight and out uh, at sea mm. um, and uh, and they're just they're they're beautiful and um, and also uh, getting into bird calls. Um, right. And also being here in Riga this year, this mark of the season and your sense of the year passing by mm -hmm. simply listening to what you're hearing outside or when you're outside walking through the woods, it's such a rich world. I've always, for a long time, so I also really like plants, for example, um, and learning about, you know, which plant is which and how to propagate them. And it's the same when you start to observe birds and learn about them, these, you know, how to tell them apart, how to mm -hmm. listen to them. I, I became obsessed with trying to distinguish their sounds without yet seeing them. Mm. Uh, and things like this, yeah, I, the, it's bird song and bird call. I mean, they're they're just they're really really beautiful. They're very melodic. They're 
there's a lot of information you sense that's embedded within them. Yes. Um, it's I it's incredible and I yeah it's I don't know it's like <laughs> just like completely geeking out but yeah um I I don't have a better explanation than that that's really. a great one I mean yeah that, that that absolutely rings true to to all my experiences as well I also love the presence of seagulls as I was saying on 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 that track I mean I don't know there's something that feels almost like uh existing on a boundary on this record yeah um yeah. and so seagulls feel quite pertinent for that reason but um was that seagulls you recorded yourself or uh yeah wicked yeah yes yeah, beautiful sound Where, whereabouts was that uh that was in london some time ago in a in a visit nice and um and then on the last track uh rhododendron that was um in the forest here well sarah the record is as i've said already it's fantastic people should definitely check it out um where's the best place for people to keep up to speed with with your music and what you're up to besides as well um but Bandcamp, i guess and um soundcloud and twitter or just my my website which is uh the so fractal.com nice yeah your website's pretty incredible i'm sure people have said this already but it's like the best artist website that i've seen in ages everything's there it's so easy oh thank you so much <laughs> thank you yeah oh. great well Let's talk about your three important records. Now, before we dive into those, uh, what I like to do is ask about how you thought about the term important when picking your selection. So was there a way that you thought about that word when coming up with the selection of records that you did? So I, I like I told you, I agonized <laughs> yeah. over which to choose. It's it's really hard to narrow down because it's kind of, you feel like you're excluding a lot mm-hmm. um, by selecting only three. I think I, so I chose these to highlight kind of three moods of listening that I'm quite inclined towards. Um, and also in terms of the song structure or composition, there are elements there that in one way or another have influenced either my music making um, or what it is that I like to listen to. Hmm. I could have included a lot more, uh, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> Sorry yeah, about it that. Ca- it, yeah. it came down to it, it came down to those. <laughs> Great. Well, let's dive into your first one. If you could give me the name of it, anyone you like, and uh, a little bit about why it's important to you as well. Ah, uh, so the first one is Marif Tifik by Feirouz, who is a Lebanese singer. Um, who is very, very well known, um, I think, in the region, if not around the world. Um, yeah. Why this record in particular? Well, this record, I have... The CD has been in around um, for quite a long time at home when I was still living with my parents. And I don't remember the first time I sort of you know sat down and listened to the actual cd um it was a very long time ago 
And I think I'd heard, I definitely heard there's a very well-known track on it, uh, Le Beirut, which is for Beirut. Yes. Um, that I had heard definitely prior to actually, you know, going through this as a, you know, as a, a full work. And uh, I, I listened to a lot of Feirouz growing up. Um, I've always loved her voice. I only found out in in my adult years kind of about her life and how it came to be that these albums were put together, her, her songs were written. But yeah, her voice was, in terms of music from the region, Middle East and North Africa, it stood out. Her singing style was very different. Mm. And I think that that came from singing in church choir, growing up. Um, I could be wrong about this, but I recall uh, reading that somewhere or being told that. And yeah, just the, it's, there's like this vibe, um, this kind of 70s, 80s vibe in the music on that album. A lot of kind of synths and also more traditional this like ensemble of violins and drums and and I think drum machines and it's it stood out in terms of an album from that time from that this region um and I've loved it uh ever since I first heard it I think and you mentioned that you discovered it while living with your parents was it a record that belonged to your parents yeah, I think my guess it is it probably belonged to my dad. Right. Um, my dad, for some time, um, actually for a long time. So when he moved to London in the 80s, I think he started a cassette collection there because I when I go through photos, I see him. Uh, sometimes I see like the something in the background like some stack of cassette tapes uh, which then made its way to Cairo when we moved back in 2001 uh, we had moved to the to the U.S. and then we went to Cairo and uh, there was a lot of moving around um, that that's always been constant but um, but yeah so he he loved having music or buying music um my mom also but she wasn't quite the collector that he was mm. um so yeah that was one of many cds and tapes that kind of uh, i like the cover a lot and of course i i knew who Feruz was and it, it was hard not to kind of when i was digging around i, I I don't remember where I was, but um, I, I listened to it and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned already the track Le Beirut, which um, actually struck me because there's a phrase in there which also appears in Miles Davis' Sketches of Spain. Um, yeah. Which I understand is also derived from like a Spanish concerto, but it was... Um, quite striking to suddenly hear that crop up in the middle of this record that I hadn't heard before but um is there a track other than the Beirut that sticks out as a favorite or one that you connect with particularly prominently uh there's this one Ouda Kranen 
is I think my it's tied for my fav my most favorite off of that mm. uh, album, and I think because it opens with this kind of ambient talking, you know, like almost like some backstage sounds yeah. or something, and um, and then there's this synthy kind of funky sound that that <laughs> that comes in, and and then it becomes quite traditional towards the end this um uh, how to describe it it like stage piece um mm. you know with a full band and um this sent like a choir and um it's a it's a very big song and i i like the that it kind of it develops in that way um there's this energy there um, so I, I quite like that one a lot. It's an eclectic record, isn't it? I think you've, you, you've already touched on that, but it feels like a record that works coherently. But I was quite surprised to hear something quite electronic and funky emerge yeah. and then a sort of bossa nova feel also coming in at particular points. Like um, It feels like, in my initial acquaintance, a record that pulls in a lot of different directions. I mean, is that indicative of how she went about her music or, or, or you know is is that typical of one of her releases my understanding is that so her her career um i think maybe before this album and i actually i double checked today to be sure is that so her husband and his brother mm. were the ones who used to in some sense produce um, a lot of the the tracks, and it was on this record that her I think her son yes. wrote with her. So, and you can hear actually throughout, uh, even on earlier releases, there is this. Sometimes some of the music is recognizable from elsewhere. I think that there's a bit of um, remix culture underpinning some of the writing right and uh i think even there might have been you know like some uh well-known mozart piece or you know th there is definitely this point of reference so it's i mean it it doesn't surprise me that then you know that it it's like some amalgamation of of different sounds and styles uh but very much her own as well, because when just her her voice is so expressive, um, it feels like the music kind of just keeps tempo. And there's an there's another, and this is, this might be a bit heretical, but there's a very well known. Um, Egyptian singer Umu Kulthum, who a lot of people love, 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 and I haven't ever really. Um, she's kind of like the Aretha Franklin of Egypt, right? Um, and I'm not so much into that vocal style or lyrical poetry, and I think p partly because I don't understand everything because my knowledge of the language is. I can speak it, but it's limited mm. um, because it's not uh, fully learned. Uh, I mean, it was learned at home, so casually learned. Right. Um, so, but with Feyruz, 
I can connect more, I think, because of it's it's easier for me. Mm. It's more more modern in my view. Uh, a sound is kind of these breathy, full vocals um, where the tremolo is not so. Uh, it's it's less folksy mm. um, than some other really well-known singers from the region, so I I quite like that and and it fits with the music it really does um, and re- she stands apart from everyone else I can think of really in the, in the region. There's another um, Egyptian singer Abdul Halim Hafiz um, and he I also love him very much. He was also, he acted in some movies that were kind of like half musicals. And he had like a more traditional vocal style, but there's some similar energy there and emotion that I also really like. Uh, I think it's probably has also to do with like when I was exposed to these things and Mm. I associate them with different times. And um, I've just grown fond uh, very deeply. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a pertinent time to be bringing it up. I hear that this record was just reissued on vinyl for the first time this year. Really? I had no idea, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no, that's good news. Mm. Yeah, I saw that on the Vinyl Factory, so maybe it'll uh, have a new audience come into it from that. Yeah, I wouldn't... I think she has a huge fan base, and there are, like, so many YouTube channels and Facebook pages and stuff, and she's still... I mean, she's still alive. Um, I think she's in her late 80s now. Wow. Um, So, and... and, um, you can find some not too... You know, some live performances recorded from not too long ago. Um, uh, she's she's sung, I think, in Paris and all over. Um, so she she definitely has a following. No, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Mm. I mean, do you still is she still releasing stuff? Um, as far as I know, no, right. I don't think so. Uh, but I would be really excited to know if she has actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think I don't know. I I when I used to use Spotify, I that was a really good way of kind of digging through their like these huge compilations of her music, and uh, and now on YouTube also there is, and um, yeah, it's uh, there. It's a, a huge body of work. Let's go to your second record now, Sarah. If you could give me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important to you as well. So this is Roly Porter's After Time, which I I must have heard around the time that it came out. I think this might have been the first album... I I think around that okay so around that time I must have been listening to a lot of ambient and also film soundtracks and 
some more dancey electronic music and I think that this stood out to me as being kind of containing these classical elements but also being very original and forward thinking mm. and um, this is also before I knew about more about the label that it came out on uh, which has a lot of really good releases um, is extremely well curated but um, I think Roly Porter's this album was one of the those albums when I realized kind of I w would really like to make music with this kind of diversity and depth and feeling um, but also this darkness. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it it was it, it's an inspiration in many ways um, because it has this kind of cinematic depth to it, and uh, it it kind of yeah it was one of those things where it showed what was possible mm. to me. Um, in terms of what maybe I would like to uh, aim for or strive for or what was okay to make, basically. <laughs> and is there a particular track on this one that really protrudes for you? Um, I'm Actually, I need to... It's El Zeneb, I think, is the one that... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the one that um, I would have on repeat for a long time. I think also this was around the time I was using Last FM a lot. And um, I actually went through my Last FM, like, all-time listens. And I had already put this on my list as potentially one of the ones I would mention to you. And surely enough, this was like within maybe like my top 20 since like 2006 right. albums that I've listened to. So I've listened to it a lot, a lot. And, <laughs> um, and this track in particular just gets me. It's, ex it's heartbreaking. Um, and again, this kind of, there's something very, um, I really like film soundtracks and this without it being a film soundtrack kind of struck a chord that it has this storytelling uh, at least it's one of these things where you listen to it and you can see kind of you can imagine it being really going really well in some kind of epic dark film um and sh and i i've since seen it synced to some scenes in <laughs> in shows um i just remember loving the mood a lot and i listened to it the other day and it was it it's held up really really well um it's been what some eight nine years and yeah no it's it's stood the test of time um so i guess like it's been aptly named um uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was super cheesy i did not think of that before by the way that just came out <laughs> nicely done um yeah i mean you mentioned the fact that you know this record showed you what was possible and as you say i mean this, this came out on subtext right yeah. Um, it sounds like you've since got on to hear further records on subtext and get a handle yes. on, on what that label does. I mean, how has your relationship with this record changed 
if it has in the knowledge now of a lot of the context around it or you know similar such music having now you know discovered the music within which it would probably stylistically be situated has your relationship yeah. with it changed well i can tell you what has kind of impacted the way that i viewed this record and also um i think um in ahosan's uh, episode he mentioned third mm. which is the the one after this and uh Roley porter has since also released uh, another album uh, which I, to be honest, haven't uh, listened to through entirely, so I still need to do that. The thing with this one, I think, when I first discovered Rolly Porter, it was very much uh, free of context. I I loved the music itself, and also I found the album artwork striking. Mm, yeah. Um, I then, afterwards, uh, came across he gave a talk about he rescored a sci-fi film and i think bfi did something uh so gandahar rescore and he gave a talk about doing this rescore and i just i found that extremely fascinating and again kind of tying in with my fascination of um composing for film in general i found it extremely insightful and that really i think changed or deepened my appreciation for this for this album, and also uh, the subsequent album deepened my appreciation for this album. Um, it was only later that I delved into the subtext catalog. Um, there was this uh, I don't know how to pronounce the name uh, XIN release uh, not too long ago, maybe a year ago, and I'm also a fan of Empty Set. Mm. Um, one of So one of them uh, is the one who runs the label, and um, it's one of those kind of, it's extremely well curated and kind of very selective and um, n- not very frequently releasing and I I appreciate that this kind of music that doesn't necessarily fit in one genre there's this depth in mood and it's an experience to listen to it from start to finish right um and it's so you can just on repeat listen through and listen through and hear new things almost every single time if you really if you're really attentive in those first several times this one really is for me about mood and kind of sounds that they're not strictly classical they're not strictly electronic it's a mix of things because the mood is what dominates it's not so Mm. much for example what instruments as such it's kind of the the byproduct of that um that takes focus that absolutely feels like the case in these first few listens that i've had to this record where my visual impression of this record if i imagine it in my head it's a it's a space in which you have these instruments playing say character roles but that space is the the sort of consistent or the, the the constant element that feels like the the most prominent figure within this this album yeah you know this yeah. F- flavor um, a, to the a world 
a world of sounds and that's mm. and that's the thing that I think that's the thing that why I associate it so much with exactly like some score for a film because there is this consistency in terms of world creation there is this atmosphere mm. uh, that carries throughout and I, I think I tend to gravitate towards that and actually in even Marifik even with the variety and styles there is this atmosphere that mm. carries through and certainly the third uh selection as well i mean that that's the most obvious of all because of it we'll get to that but um yeah, yeah I, I like i really like this continuity or this world creation or it's not so much that the song structure needs to be similar or that even the instruments need to be similar. I'd, I'd actually rather not. Um, mm. But for there to be this, um, it, like reading a book, you know, these threads that continue and there's some resolution at the end or intentionally not, but, you know, for there to be this uh, ebb and flow and kind of you travel somewhere yes yeah yeah and i guess that kind of thread which doesn't have a say material basis like as you say it's not particular instruments or you yeah. know that 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 also i guess feeds into why say a label like subtext feels so resonant because it's not like you can point to the element that they all share but they're all definitely gravitating around something Right, and there's yeah. like a continuum there, but it's not something that you can grasp with both hands and be like, yeah, we've all got one of these in it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. And you've mentioned as well that you are into film soundtracks. I mean, are there any off the top of your head that are particularly striking to you? Any film soundtracks you particularly enjoy? So I was going to, actually one of the albums I was going to include, um, because I think it was for such a long time, one of my favorite film soundtracks is um, uh, the original one for Blade Runner, mm. uh, Vangelis, and um, uh, the extended version. I, I think there are like a few versions of it floating around, um, but there's a very long one, some deluxe edition. <laughs> and... Um, and this has everything, and I actually prefer it to the movie itself. I would kind of much rather listen to that than sit down and watch the original huh. Blade Runner again. Interesting. Uh, as, as much as I love the original Blade Runner. Um, but if you watch it too many times, you kind of, you start to... You start to notice some things that kind of kind of make it less less of a as an as a, less of a feat, but, right? <laughs> um, yeah, but um, but yeah, that that one also because you can really again this world creation in terms of sound, and there are these some Eastern motifs that they included and stuff that kind of give it this um i i suppose that was the idea some mystery uh, right. and also i mean to fit with the set design and stuff there was a lot of um in some scenes uh, you could see kind of this ancient um meets futuristic kind of this pastiche of things and 
Yeah, and that that was and still is one of my favorites. There there are also a few by Johan Johansson, there's yeah. Cesario, uh there's a specific track on there that again like super moody. Um and also the Mandy soundtrack I think I oh, listened yeah. to uh, uh for a bit. Um, I've listened to a lot of soundtracks. I've actually discovered a lot of music while watching TV shows because like some, some track comes up and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is that? Mm. Um, and then I will look it up. Uh, to be fair, I might not like those things anymore. (laughs) Um, but it's, it's been one of the ways that I have learned about music is through watching film and TV. Um, I don't know what it is about it. And also even video game soundtracks and just, I re- I, I love this like audiovisual thing, um, uh, combining the two and, and how uh, each kind of contributes to the other and also plays off the other. And um, I'm, I've just always been fascinated by that. Um, I, I think if I, in, in some other life, I would really love to also make films mm. um, uh, and had considered it for some time, but for now, kind of uh, trying to do the audiovisual thing in my own way uh, and, you know, just uh, own small ways. So, mm. um, yeah. Let's go to your third record now, Sarah. Again, if you could give me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important to you as well. So this third one is Tumani Diabate's New Ancient Strings. um, And he is a Malian uh, kora player. Um, And this this album is also with uh, Balake Sisoko. Um, and I think I spent maybe half of my time at uni listening to this album <laughs> on repeat while I was working or if I was trying to relax or, mm. um, and, and there was some time when I was actively looking for a Quora teacher, um, wow. because I really, really wanted to learn how to play. So th- this one, regardless of the time or the year or it's just one of the most um immediately relaxing and almost like relaxing but with the sense of euphoria Mm. um uh, works of music um and i mean there's a lot of quarry music that is is as beautiful um but this one really stands out to me like uh, in terms of i spent a considerable amount of time listening to it um, and I also, I always, 
release artwork always impacts a bit how I like remember music that I've listened to and this one also stood out to me mm. um, so and same with the other two uh, albums and do you remember how you discovered it uh, this I'm probably last FM this was when I was deep into finding new music uh, on when last FM, I think before it was bought by CBS and there was still a radio uh, player yeah. for free accounts. Yeah. So I either it came on on the radio or I was just just digging around. I was also I think around that time and speaking of movie soundtracks, also one of the ones that had huge impact on me was um, Eric uh, Inokson's uh, Farvel Falkenberg, which is a Swedish movie. Um, and this also had like some folky, stringy quality to it. Um, and I think it, it could also have easily been that through that I came across Quora music just more generally um, when I was, you know, after some uh, releases that focus heavily on string instruments. It sounds like that the Cora really connected with you the fact that you went out looking for a teacher I mean did you did you find one where did your Cora journey go no I mean and I I actively but not persistently <laughs> sought one out so I think also I mean again like every every year there is some some turbulence so it's kind of uh between studying and moving and anyway that that attempt was ultimately short-lived um and actually i stayed in a place um this was maybe two years ago uh when i went to london for a show there um the place that i stayed in someone on their the top floor of their um where i was staying there was like a workspace and someone had a cora there and i was just like oh my gosh i remember i remembered that this was something that I really, really wanted to do. And <laughs> there's, there's still hope. There is. <laughs> um, and what is it about the Cora you think draws you to it? I think it's the tuning um, mm. or the, the, the common tuning. I also, I mean, I, I, I do love string instruments in general. I grew up um, playing classical guitar. I was, I did Suzuki method for some years and um, this also, I think, came out of uh, listening to oud a lot and, mm. you know, these more luti instruments. And I love modal music. I, I really like this, you know, this precursor to more contemporary jazz structures um, and improvisation. Mm. Um, I think that with chora music, there's this again the mood uh this on the other hand being the opposite of dark um but right. still not strictly what can be characterized as strictly happy music there's a lot of emotion there that kind of meanders as you as you listen but it's i mean it's like extremely heartfelt mm. um it's neither very happy or very sad but it's very emotional music it's very beautiful um it's also extremely soothing it's complex it evolves 
yeah, it's it's really reviving, and there isn't, I think, m- much music with this particular quality out there with it being also kind of complex and simple at the same time yeah you know just single instrument um or two of one instrument um so it's you know it's a lot about phasing and and kind of patterns and i yeah I, i remember just being completely enthralled by it and i still to this day when i hear it i really really love it um yeah yeah this record is amazing i've had such a good time with this one i think out of the three this is the one that's got me most jazzed um it feels like i had to kind of double take to begin with i I, you know i didn't read too much about it or (laughs) let alone the the title before i pressed play but i had to just double check it was a duet because i think there feels like that there's almost something at certain points where they fuse into uh, a singular presence with the way that yeah. they're playing, right? And I don't know whether that's the tonality of the instrument or just the... And clearly they're both really well-established Cora players. I read that Diabate's father recorded the first ever Cora album, so clearly that's yeah. deep in his blood. But yeah, they, they, the, the, the way that they're playing together is so incredibly intensely fused and it's it's such a rich dialogue um exactly dialogue mm. exactly there's this some you know sometimes when it's not in sync this yes. almost this communicating back and forth a bit like to tie it to the birds <laughs> like <laughs> you know just there is this you know calling back and forth and I love that. Again, there's this information there and that mm. kind of, I mean, this is what underpins a lot of folk folk traditions, um, this vocal quality um, and this kind of, this storytelling, um, mm. a, a bit almost like music as choreography mm. um, or, or like oral traditions. So, I mean, it's kind of... Yeah, it's extremely meditative and profound. Feels like marveling over running water to me. Just yeah. taking real pleasure in just watching something as simple as a stream or something. It's, it's also one of the rare points where I've put on an album while my one-year-old son is eating and my wife hasn't said, that's way too dark for a boy to be eating his meal to. Can you turn <laughs> that off? I think I have quite a skewed notion of what's particularly pleasant dining music, but this one got a pass. I mean, it's... Yeah, absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it's it's beautiful and uplifting without being saturated or like yes. cloying or or you know it's extremely. I don't know how to like. I mean, there there is a lot of there are these music modes with other instruments and other places that also have you know such uplifting um, sounds, but this is always just there's this balance there mm. uh, it's it's complete in a way it's not too much of one thing and and yet again it is this one instrument and just the recording is really just the recordings are are very it's very well recorded and mm. um it, it really yeah it's like kind of washes over you and just like 
just like breathing some really just fresh air. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I read that there was no kind of artificial echo or anything that's just the sound of the room that yeah. they're in, which, um, I mean, it's a beautiful room, clearly. So, I mean, is this, so this is one you say you've been listening to since university. Um, if you think back to like a particular memory of listening to this album what's the first one that comes to mind like where are you how are you listening to the record i think i was in halls and probably lying down on my bed and just staring at the ceiling that's you know and laptop open somewhere and just taking a break um uh, otherwise than resuming with the same album <laughs> while I was working. <laughs> but I do remember just this was one of those that you kind of, like I would stop what I was doing and mm. and just spend time with it. A lot of the time now I find myself listening to music while doing things. Um, I listen to a lot of music while working. Mm. um, And I actually find it very hard when I'm making music to not be like to... I always have this a bit urge to... Like it's one of those things when you kind of... You feel like you're working, (laughs) but you can't be... You can't listen to other music while you're making your own music. It's a very... It's a strange compulsion. And um, and that that sounds extremely bizarre, but it's it really, and I've at least with this last release, I kind of got into listening to very long recordings of improvised sessions and kind of treating them as I would with this um, when you're. Well, you have to pay attention in a different way, of course, but, you know, it's kind of, you take stock of all of the sounds and all of that. And I think with this, this was one of those rare albums. And also, I think back then, quieter times, less internet, stuff like that. Right. Um, when I was really just just lost in the sound. And, and it was very cathartic. Uh, I really, I remember, I remember very distinctly kind of like this feeling and it, and also around that time, it was when I first started listening to choral music, it was very new to me in the sense of these, how the structure is and how these instruments are tuned and the timbre and everything. It was kind of, yeah, it was really just extra beautiful Mm. uh, in comparison to everything else I had heard prior to that. you mentioned those experiences occurred when less internet was was a thing yeah it's interesting i mean would you find it difficult to protect the experience of listening now we're in a state of more internet and um, maybe a, a, a greater encouragement to sort of 
multitask with listening and you know are, are, are there ways that you try and protect that experience of deep listening for yourself well i think that to start with um so i i will check out a lot of music while i'm working mm. um it helps me work and it's also a good chance to listen um and of course i i say listen in as much as someone can really listen while doing something else mm. um when something stops me kind of i'm doing something and i have to i find myself having to stop and kind of you know uh just rewinding and and kind of i i need to hear this again um then i will put in the effort to really focus and listen because if if it's in, if it catches my attention in that way you're at a point where you haven't listened through you know fully and carefully mm. um but that it requires this that it's caught that much of your attention that you can't do anything else well still getting to know it um then i know i must like it um <laughs> it's it's kind of because there's such an abundance of music out there there really is i mean i i don't know if it's more you know there's more out there than before or that we just it's so readily accessible mm. more so than before um it used to be that i mean this experience with spotify when you can kind of get trapped in this territory of sameness unless you actively try to break out of that by searching for things absolutely yeah and this thing when you can be kind of mindlessly kind of listening while working and not have any sense of what it is at all that you're listening to who it is that you're listening to right. what what it's from where it's from it's just so divorced from any context um so now a lot of the time i will i will scroll through soundcloud and play thing to again this thing about i i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing i think it's both but um artwork always catches my attention like that's kind of almost like the point of starting for me um <laughs> same with same with bandcamp actually like when i um i come across a lot of interesting collections and i you know i check out and I kind of usually that's what catches my eye first and I'll add things to the wish list or I'll um favorite them or and then I will go through them and I will check them out when I have the chance and um if I am doing something else and I have to just take a pause and and just catch my breath <laughs> just like well, wait what was that and then then it's that's that's when i buy it like right. immediately like it, it goes from wish list to collection like that's the <laughs> yeah amazing um well sarah this has been wicked thank you so much for talking through these important thank you records. so much um oh thank you i, I hope it made sense absolutely. i don't know it's kind of it's it's funny like it's kind of been a long time since i've thought about you know uh, what what is it that from all these years that that's really stood 
the test of time in terms of these uh, albums. And it was really nice to think about and also illuminating in some ways mm. uh, to kind of see what it is actually that makes something important after some time passes. And even if you're not listening to it anymore, it can still be important. And mm. Yeah, I mean, it's been illuminating for me as well, as it often is. I mean... I have to say, I'm not sure that I could pick a list of three important records, let alone find the words to talk about them. So I'm always very, that's why I'm on this side of the, the microphone, I guess. But that that's, you know, it's always uh, such a pleasure for me to hear people articulate them so vividly and give me, me a connection with these these records as well. So thank you. Yeah. Um, and people, like I said before, and just to remind people, if people want to check out your music, um, where would you direct them? Um, either my Bandcamp um, or my website, uh, which is fractal.com or SoundCloud or anyway, the, the it, just Google. It's, it, <laughs> yeah. it should be there. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's quite archaic to give people a URL to punch in, isn't it? Um, yeah. Search engine yeah. will do the job. Yeah. Um, great. Well, thank you once again. And to everyone listening, I'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.